Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke 4 as where we will be uh, dwelling this morning. I've kind of highlighted as we go throughout this series. I would recommend that you uh, come with the Bible and come with the Bible that you can write in and be able to take notes as we go. There will be references that I make during this series uh, that I think it would be helpful to be able to write notes and come back to them later. Uh, I also want to ask uh, guys in the booth, would you mind just kind of bringing up the lights all the way for people to be able to write notes as we go? Uh, we are unpacking what it means as Jesus followers to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. And this is not only language that we are using as a church, but this is language that is used to describe the ministry of Jesus. And then it also describes the ministry of the followers of Jesus in a book that we call Acts. And that is where we're dwelling in Acts for today. And in previous weeks, We've talked about how uh, when it comes to the life of Jesus, we do not have to become like Jesus on our own. That Jesus actually promises a helper, someone who helps us become like Jesus and transform our lives into the ways of Jesus. And one of the things we talked about in the first week of this series is that one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us is the Spirit helps identify trends in our lives where we are unlike Jesus and shows us where our misunderstandings are and invites us into a different way of life. There was a sobering article that uh, came across a group called Google Trends. And uh, one of the things that this article highlighted in Google Trends is if you look at the number of searches that happen in each state, you will actually find that each state tends to have a trend of misspelling one particular word. And I found some of the results extremely disturbing, uh, and I've probably fed into it myself with it, but Google Trends basically gave you a map of the U.S. and they said, hey, we'll let you know what is the most misspelled word that comes from each state. So uh, let's do a little run uh, geography-wise. Do we know what state this is? Absolutely, Pennsylvania. Some of you are like, I did not know there was a quiz this morning. Uh, The most misspelled is sauerkraut, uh, which I misspelled twice trying to get it onto these slides, so I belong in Pennsylvania. Uh, Do we know this state? Georgia, absolutely. They are struggling with the word gray, okay? It's an A, not an E. Um, Do we know this state? Washington, absolutely. You gotta, you gotta feel it for Washington. Pneumonia, okay. All right, they're tackling some hard words out there. Most misspelled word in Washington. How about Texas? For those of us who are diehards, any guess what the word is that's most misspelled for Texans? Barbecue. <laughs> My wife last night was like, "Y'all," I was like, "That's offensive. I'm not gonna make that joke up here." Maintenance maintenance it's that a it gets you some of you are like no i got that word since preschool okay uh and then there's uh, a couple that i just think are quite funny and slightly ironic uh do we know this state 
Wisconsin. Do you know the most misspelled word for Wisconsin? Wisconsin. <laughs> that should disturb us all. Google Trends would basically say that each group of people have their own misunderstanding, their own misspellings when it comes to the people that they're around. In the fourth chapter of Luke, Luke wants to let you know that when the work of the Spirit is happening, there is a trend of God's people that can misunderstand what is happening and how to join in the work of the Spirit. And whenever God's people fall into this misunderstanding, it doesn't spell the word trouble. The word that Scripture uses is the word grieve. That it grieves God. And how Luke is going to do this, starting in the fourth chapter, is he's actually going to give you two postures of God's people. He's going to set them side by side. Two postures, two understandings, two approaches side by side, of how two different groups of people approach the work that God is doing through the Spirit. But before we get to these postures, we need to have a picture of what is actually happening in Acts 4 that was read this morning. So uh, Acts 4, the followers of Jesus are experiencing the promise of Jesus. Jesus says there's one that's going to come that's going to be greater. He's going to fill you and he's going to lead you to do the things that I have been doing to continue this ministry. And in verse 33, Luke uses some language to describe how this is happening. He says, with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and a great grace was upon them all. And despite whatever stereotypes we may think of people who are filled and led by the Spirit. In the very next verse, Luke is actually going to tell you some of the miracle that is happening. And we like to think of, when we think of the Spirit, we think of outrageous things happening. And Luke will actually tell you, when a great power is upon the people of God, here's one of the ways that it looks like in the very next verse. That there were no needy people among them. For from time to time, those who own land or houses, they sold them and they brought the money from the sales. In other words, Luke tells you from very early on in the beginning, one of the ways to respond to the Holy Spirit is to actually give when the Spirit invites you to give. Maybe one way to just note in your Bible that a mark of God's Spirit is someone who has a giving spirit. And we've talked about in previous weeks that when we read the scriptures, there are always layers that are happening. There are multiple stories that are being overlapped. And when Luke writes this particular piece, another thing that would catch the ear of some of these people would be there's no needy persons among them. This is one of Luke's ways of being like, hey, Jesus has come. He has sent the spirit. And because Jesus has spent the Spirit, He is fulfilling God's ideal. In Deuteronomy, when the people are being told, this is what it looks like to live out God's way. In Deuteronomy 15.4, this is the language they would have heard over and over again. They would have heard, 
Uh, there will, however, be no one in need among you because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession to occupy. This is Luke's way of echoing the scriptures and the story of God and saying God's people are fulfilling. God's people are giving. This is one of the signs that God is doing what God has promised. That they are living by giving. And I think it's crucial when we talk about giving to understand the order that's happening in Acts. The disciples give not to receive something. The disciples do not give in order to get something. The disciples give because of what has already been given in Jesus Christ. You know, there's always sometimes a temptation when we think of uh, when we think of things like faith that we think we give so God responds to us and gives us something back. And in Acts, that's not the order that's happening. People give in response to God giving. God has given all of us something in Jesus Christ. Just to name a couple of them. In Jesus Christ, God has given a visible image of the invisible God. You can say amen to that. In Jesus, we'll take a couple laps. In Jesus Christ, we are given the best way to live life by the way that Jesus lived his life. In Jesus Christ, God has given us power through his giving up of power on the cross. In Jesus Christ, God has saved our lives through the giving of his own life. In Jesus Christ, God has given us resurrection, a foretaste of what is to come when we trust God in our death. In Jesus Christ, God has given you freedom to be able to be who God has made you to be. And that's some good news. In other words, in Jesus Christ, you have security in God, no matter how insecure you may feel in this life. And for the believers in Acts, that meant that they could slowly give away ways of security in their lives because they trusted and wanted to declare that God was their security. Uh, five years ago, I was uh, cleaning out my uh, childhood closet and uh, I found a uh, box that I had completely forgotten that I had growing up. Uh, it was called the Do Not Touch box. And uh, what the Do Not Touch box was, was it was uh, a bank account that was my way of being like, if I want to ditch my parents, if I need to bail on this project called family, I was going to save up enough money to be able to depend on myself and move out and live by myself. And I started this very early, which you're like, my goodness, how anxious of a child were you to start that early? And I laughed at it until I opened the box. I found $200 in that box. I had saved up. I was like, this is my security. And I loved when I looked at the box 
uh, I got a picture of it and my security system was a very simple system. It was a sign on the side of the box that if anyone found it, all it said is the Lord is watching. The Lord is watching. So don't you dare take my $200. The message of God that I want you to hear this morning is exactly that phrase. The Lord is watching over your life. As a matter of fact, the best news for you to hear this morning is the Lord was watching over your life before your life became a thing. The Lord was watching over you that he sent his son to be able to show and give and make available for life for you. And I just want to encourage you, if you've heard any other message, can I simply just insert a new message for you? That when we give financially our time, our presence, our gifts, it's not to get something from God. It's to respond to what God has already done in Jesus Christ. When we financially give, when the apostles, when they are laying the financial gifts in front of the church leaders of their day, it wasn't to receive something. It was to say, we believe we've received something in God and we want other people to know that security that we already feel. So when we give, especially financially. It's just our way of being able to declare, hey, we believe that our security is in God. And whenever we receive, we want to make sure that we give back to God and claim that over our lives. That the Lord has been watching over us and the Lord has been good. And in the midst of the people of God experiencing this in Luke, Luke's going to give you the very first posture, one of the first reactions. And he actually tells it to you in Acts 5 after he gives you that description in Acts 4. So here's the way that Luke's going to tell the next part of the story. Starting in verse 1, But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge, and he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter, mm, Peter's about to come after him. Ananias, why had, what a bold statement. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have done this deed in your heart? You did not just lie to us, but you lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down. He breathed his last. And a great reverence seized all of those who heard and saw these things. Which if you take this story seriously, this is a game stopper. This is someone bumping into the stereo system and completely messing up the music that's played. And I know for some of us, when we hear that story, we're immediately arrested by the death that happens at the end. We're like, whoa, like this situation was bad, but was it that bad that this had to happen? And I just want to pause us. 
for a moment. I want to bring our attention back to this, but I want to give our attention to a couple things that Luke highlights in this story towards this posture. The first one is actually in verse 3. That when Peter calls out Ananias, he says, So filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept it for yourself. Now, this phrasing should be interesting to us. That when Peter talks about the Holy Spirit, Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as someone who can be lied to. As if it is something relational. If the Holy Spirit is just a power, then the power is just used. But when Peter talks about the Holy Spirit, he talks about the Holy Spirit as a person. You know, early Christians would actually recognize God is three persons, one essence, that there's something relational when it comes to the Spirit. I think sometimes we hear the Holy Spirit and we imagine something to the equivalent of like the force in Star Wars. Like you just, you need to use the force. And Peter reveals that the Holy Spirit is not one who is used. The Holy Spirit is not it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of God. That we do not devote ourselves to a tradition or a set of ideas, but we actually devote ourselves to a person. Even when you flip through different parts of the scripture, you find different language that happens around this. In Hebrews 10, 29, like there's actually writing that says you can offend the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, there's actually language that says you, know, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. That there is actual language that happens. There's a relationship that happens between us and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at one of these. Like in, uh, you can write this example down. Like Hebrews ten twenty nine is an example. Ephesians four thirty through thirty one. That's an example. Uh, but let's look at the Ephesians piece. In Ephesians four thirty. Paul actually writes to a group of baptized believers, and he just says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed." for the day of redemption. And then our very next question may be like, okay, so what does it look like to grieve the Holy Spirit? And Paul literally gives examples right after. He says, so don't fill yourself with things like bitterness or rage or anger or slander or malice. It's a reminder that relationship with the Holy Spirit, He is holy, which means to be filled with the Holy Spirit means we also do the internal work of emptying ourselves of the things that are unholy. When we're sealed with the Spirit, it doesn't imply that we can't suppress the work of the Spirit that God is inviting us to into our lives. We grieve the Spirit, not when we fail to be holy, but when we fail to be honest about the areas of our lives where we are living unholy. In Acts 5.4, when Peter literally highlights why he is calling them out, one of the things he says is, uh, do, 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 uh, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, I'm going to come to that scripture in a second there. That threw me off. Um, but literally, when he literally calls them out, he literally says like, hey, didn't you have the resources to decide what you wanted to do with this? Peter doesn't call Ananias out and he's like, you just didn't give enough. What Peter calls out is he says, it's the perception of your devotion, not the price of your donation. That's the problem. Peter doesn't knock on what Ananias gives. He calls out Ananias for the appearance of giving his all to God when inwardly he knows he's not giving his call all to God. You know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about how there's just so many layers that's happening within the story of Scripture. One of the things that actually is uh, layered is actually this word kept back. When they're called out of they kept back some of the money. Some of God's people who grew up in the stories would remember a different story in the Old Testament where someone actually kept back and hided things from God. One of them would be found in the story of Joshua. If you're familiar with the story of Achan, that God's people are literally coming off of this massive victory it's a moment where God's people are back on the trajectory. But God says, everything that you've taken, you need to consecrate. It's devoted to me. Do not take any of it for yourselves. And then in Joshua 7, 21, there's a man named Achan who answered, it is true. I'm the one who has sinned against the Lord of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil of all these beautiful things and all this silver, and all the gold, I coveted them, and I, same word, kept them, took them. It's an echoing over and over again. That when God has provided life and victory, we do not keep what needs to be given over to God. When the scriptures use the phrase that the spirit fills us, that language literally means consumed, taken over, impregnated, saturated, complete, replete with God's presence. When one is full of the Holy Spirit, one can't be full of secrets. Because when we are, we grieve God when we're not honest about the life that we're given. You know, I think for some of us, we hear this and we're like, my goodness, like this story ends very disturbingly with death. Uh, and there's been a lot of Christians throughout history that have tried to write the reason for why. Why does Ananias fall over and die? And there's been several different, you know, some people are like, the, the text isn't like, the text isn't just like implicit with it. Like some people are like, Ananias had a heart attack because he was so convinced like in the moment. Other people were like, God did it, you know, like. Everyone has done that. And I guess as I came to study this week, I'm going to pull back away from the temptation to try to explain something that Luke does not take time to explain. But the thing that I'm mindful of, of the story ending in death, thinking about that situation compared to our situations, there are stories that end in death when it comes to hypocrisy, right? 
Like if I listen and I press my ear extremely close to the world and I hear what causes the death of people's faith or the disregard of believing in God, one of the very things is God's people being hypocritical. God's people saying one thing, but doing another. That God's people claim one way outwardly, but inwardly there are different things going on. As a reminder, Luke gives you two postures, two examples. Before you get to Acts 5, the beginning of Acts 4, he even gives you just one person in particular that he wants you to really focus on. Joseph, Levi, from whom the apostles, they called him, they gave him a nickname. They said Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned. And he brought the money and he put it before the apostles' feet. He literally gives you an example next to Ananias and Sapphira and says, there's some people who are doing it this way. They're giving all when they say that they're giving all. And then there's some who are saying they give all, but they don't give all. You know, it's interesting. If you follow the life of Barnabas all the way through the book of Acts, you get to see a maturing of Barnabas that happens, that there are these descriptions all throughout Acts that say things about Barnabas. Um, that literally like one of the passages that describes Barnabas is they're like, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and matured greatly every time. That Barnabas is a way of life of saying to fill yourself with the Spirit is to give yourself all over to God. And one of the things Acts points out is that when we give ourselves fully over to God, people are led to Jesus, the ending of it, literally, literally the ending of the story, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. No one else dared to join, even though they were highly reg regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and they were added to their number daily. In essence, when we open ourselves fully to the work of the Spirit, People simply are led to Jesus. One of the ways we do not grieve the Spirit is by giving and opening our lives fully to God. In the scriptures, the word for this is consecration. It's a devoting. It's a giving more. It's a, I'm going to continue to open myself as much as possible. I want to dedicate myself to God in every single way that I can because I want all of God. You know, there are socially acceptable ways that we consecrate ourselves today. Mainly, we do it in socially acceptable ways like hobbies. Like if you've ever met someone who just deep dives on a hobby, like they start buying gear, they start changing their schedules, they start joining Facebook groups to learn as much as they can, you know, right now I'm mindful of pickleball is a thing. People are journeying right now with pickleball. People are giving their lives over to pickleball. First, they're like, I don't even get this sport. And by the end of it, they're on all these Facebook pages. Many people will devote themselves relentlessly to hobbies. Very few will devote themselves fully to the Holy One. In our faith, a Barnabas life is just 
a life that is exploring not questions of, well, how far is too far, but a posture that says, but how close can I get to God? A Barnabas life says, I think I know enough to be able to survive. A Barnabas life says, but what else is there for me to know? A Bar Barnabas life isn't a life that says, well, what can I get away with? A Barnabas life says, what else in my life can I actually give away? Because if we want God to work through us in every way, then we have to give ourselves over to God in every way. If we want people in our lives that we love to be led to Jesus, then we must give of ourselves. We must fill ourselves. We must turn ourselves fully over to God. Maybe uh, let me let me finish with this imagery. Um, you know what's you know what's really bringing me to my knees right now? Home ownership. That's bringing me to my knees right now. I've been spending three weeks trying to figure out how to work our sprinklers in our house. And it is embarrassing. Like, I mean, they're just barely going off. And I've been spending evening after evening trying to figure out how these work. And finally, after three weeks, I called in a professional to actually come and help me. Correction, my wife called a professional and said, they're going to come help you. And of course, the man who showed up, he drinks three protein shakes a day, looks awesome, looks me in the eyes, looks at the situation, and he just looks at me and he goes, hmm. Yeah, you've never owned a home before, have you? I've actually owned two. I actually have. And he goes, well, if you've, if you've owned a home, you already know what the problem would be. It's like, okay, all right, you know what? Just tell me what I need to know. And this man brings me over in the yard, gets me down on my knees. We open the valve where the sprinklers are. And he says, show me what you're doing. Show him, I turn the valve. I'm like, I'm doing the things. Like, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. And he goes, uh-uh-uh. He goes, that one valve. You're not turning that thing all the way. You're just turning it partially. He said, if you turn it all the way, then the sprinklers are really going to actually happen. And you know what? I turned it all the way, and the sprinklers actually happen. I said, get out of my yard. Don't want to hear any more about it. I wonder if sometimes that's our life with the Spirit. Is that we could experience the living water truly flowing through us in powerful, powerful ways. But we have to be willing to get on our knees. We have to be willing to set aside our pride. And we have to turn it all the way. We have to turn ourselves all the way over to God. Is there something in your life that you are not turning to God about right now? Have you never turned your life over to God and joined his story through entering the waters of baptism? Is there a way that you could turn yourself over to God more and maybe fill your time less with even things that are fine or small things? to be able to have more time for God. Because if I learned anything about my sprinkler system, is that if I turn that bad boy all the way over, and I let that sprinkler run, things start to grow over time. Will we turn ourselves over to God or not? Uh, so Lord, 
I pray over this next week. Can you convict us? Can you help us in the midst of our trends and the ways that we are not thinking like you? Or not living our lives like you? God, can you give us the gift to slow down and ask, oh, what could you be inviting me to do different? Lord, can you give some of us bravery to be able to tell someone this week the ways in which we're not turning ourselves fully over to you? God, for some of us, it's long overdue and we're nervous about how people may react. Can you help us? And Lord, I pray for those of us who maybe our lives are just consumed by a lot of hobbies and things that just, just really don't matter at the end. Spirit, can you come convict us? What things can we do less of to spend more time filling ourselves? Pray this in your son's name. Amen.